If you order mass checks, the psalmist declares the steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. And the psalmist goes on to say, I have been young, and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever leading generously, and his children become a blessing. If the Lord is ordering your steps, you can declare, I, I may have been young, and now that I'm old, but I, I haven't been forsaken by the Lord because he's ordering my steps my 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 blessed be the Lord both now and forevermore amen 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 thank you to music ministry for so wonderfully preparing our hearts to hear from the Lord this morning. So with that, greetings and welcome to meet each and every one of you, those present, those who are watching online, and welcome to this church, this local body of Christ gathered at Forest Baptist. I was excited to be in a house today. I am excited as we have begun our 2020 Bible reading plan. And my prayer is that everyone started last week and you were able to read. Let me, let me see if I could go through the days. Day one was Genesis 1 and 2. Day two was Genesis 3 and 4. Day three was Genesis 6 and 7. Day four was Genesis 8 and 9, and day five was Job 1 and 2, right? Did I get that right? Y'all tell me, because I know y'all been reading. <laughs> so I just want to encourage you, if you haven't already started, go ahead and get started. Don't, don't, don't worry about um, not starting last week, but uh, go ahead and get started. And there's a number of ways that you can participate and join in. Uh, first and foremost, if you are present on your way out. In the foyer, there are copies of the F260 Bible reading plan. And some people have been asking, what is F260? Um, so uh, a ministry named Replicate Ministry had came up with this Bible reading plan, Foundations, and it's 260 uh, readings of Scripture that will take you through the entire Bible in one year. And our plan is to, as you are reading this F260 plan, we will preach a text from that plan the following Sunday, and then you can be like, oh, yeah, I knew that already, Pastor, and I read it already, but it's, it's just another way for us to communally share in what God is doing as we seek to grow deeper together in 2022. Uh, so, copies are in the foyer on your way out. There, uh, if you go to our website online, under resources, the Bible plan is there. 
you can download a copy, or each day it's, it's laid out week by week. You could uh, just look at it. You can click the link, and it'll take you to a Bible passage uh, on our Church Center app. On the, front, on the front page, you will see in red every week the readings for the week. If you go into your, your Sunday morning group on the Church Center app under resources, uh, there you can download the plan there. there it's everywhere. We want to make sure that you have a copy and that is a completely accessible to you. Uh, a few recommendations uh, to help you along the way is, is that you go ahead and commit to reading two chapters a day. That's, that's pretty much what the reading is. It's like two chapters, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. But there's two chapters a day. So read Monday through Friday and then use Saturday as your cheat day. If there's a text that you missed out or uh, you didn't just get to it that day, use Saturday as your cheat day to catch up, to get back on track. Uh, but then also, uh, I've heard it been said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So pick a time and pick a place that you're going to do your reading. So it's not just haphazard or if you remember, pick a time and pick a place that works for you. You know your schedule. We have all different types of uh, work schedules. Some folks work first, second, third shift, a weekend, so you know the best time for you. And uh, one of the, the things that we've been able to do, and it's, it's been a blessing already, is uh, around six or seven o'clock, we, the Bishop family, we all just get together on one floor. We turn off TVs, turn off devices, and, and we just read. We just do our reading plan, and it's simple. We just do it together. We don't read it out loud. Uh, one, of the, one of the hints that, I, that actually Nadia showed me was that on the Bible reading app, if you have like the ESV Bible reading app, you can have it read to you. So you just sit there and let it read to you, and you follow along. And I find that it's been taking maybe 10 minutes at the most. And then once everyone finished reading, they just go back to what they was doing before. But it just gives us that moment where we come together and we read. So you can use this as maybe a time of family devotion or, again, I just encourage you to pick a time and place. But most of all, in order for you to get the fullest out of this, pray for understanding. This is, this is a book like none other. And we need spiritual eyes to see. We need spiritual ears to hear. And we need a spirit-fed heart in order to receive and to understand what thus says the Lord. So, you know, in Isaiah 55, uh, uh, the prophet says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. You, you, before you begin to read, Lord, I pray as I read your word, it will accomplish every single thing that you desire for it to do in and around and through my own life. What I often do every day, really, before I get into that 
devotion I've shared with you, with you before. Uh, I pray the IOUs. I pray and ask the Lord that he would incline my heart toward his testimony and not toward selfish gain. And I ask that the Lord would open up my eyes, that I would uh, see his word and comprehend. I ask the Lord that he would unite my heart to fear his name alone because we are so busy and it's so easy. My affections are always divided. And I ask that he would sanctify me and satisfy me through and by his word that I would hear. But lastly, I recommend that you would go about reading with fresh expectation. What do I mean? Don't read this as a rote duty or especially Genesis because usually when we start a Bible reading program, uh, we can get through Genesis, but we fall off when we get to Leviticus. So we've read Genesis. Uh, but, but don't look over exactly what the Bible is and is not saying. Because sometimes we want to take traditions into the text. You know, st- just simple things, little things like, you know, Eve ate the apple. Did, is that what the Bible said? Did she, did she eat an apple? The scripture says she ate of the fruit. So it's like little things like that where we've been conditioned and we've been taught certain things. Let let the Lord speak to you for himself and read exactly what the word of God has. So let's be careful about traditions and presumption. Uh, But as promised, I'll be pulling today's sermon from uh, a passage that you read last week. So why don't you grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Genesis, the second chapter. We're going to cover Genesis, the second chapter, verse 18, through Genesis, the third chapter, verse 15. And uh, because this is so rich and so packed, there's no way I can cover every single thing. But I encourage you. To continue to look deeply into this, but I want to make some highlights as we do uh, gaze upon this scripture. And, and also, on Sunday morning, I will try to answer those discuss some of those discussion questions that you have in your Sunday morning group. So if you are able to follow along, like even from your Sunday morning group, those discussion questions uh, prayerfully We'll be answering some of those in our sermons as well. So Genesis, the second chapter, if you are able, uh, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. 
And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and, make the, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you about all livestock and about all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. May the Lord blessings for the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. This morning is the start of our series, In the Beginning, as we go through the book of Genesis. And particularly, I like to title this one, Foundations Flourishing and the Fall. Foundations Flourishing and the Fall. I want you to pray with me. Father, we love you. And we ask that you would so mercifully and graciously order our steps today. Please order our steps not in ourselves, not in the world's desires, not in anyone else's desires, but Father, we ask that you would please order our steps in your word. And as we come forth before your word, may you break forth the bread of life that we shall eat and be satisfied. May you, may you supply to us your living water from your word that we would thirst no more. And that we would see Jesus. Father, apart from your spirit, we have no hope in understanding. So, Lord, please, uh, by mercy and grace, pour out your Holy Spirit in such a way that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive. Father, thank you for bringing us through yet another week. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your provision. 
Thank you for your power and your might. And Father, indeed, we ask that you would forgive us for our sins. Anything that would hinder us from hearing you right now in the name of Jesus, we ask that you will have your way, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So those four words, in the beginning, God. How important, how foundational, how profound and meaningful those four words, in the beginning, God. Those four words in and of themselves answer so many questions in life. Those four words answer questions like, where did all of this come from? It was God who made the heavens and the earth birthed out of his love that he was having in communion with himself, he decides to create, to extend that love to his creation. Why am I here? You are here because God desired to lavish his love upon you and to give you the breath of life. What is my purpose in life? To be a living and breathing reflection of God's glory throughout his entire creation. It all begins with God and it all ends with God. Revelation 4.11, we love to quote it. Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive worthy, to uh, receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. In the beginning God. He is the foundation, the creator and sustainer of all things. But most of all, we have the privilege of calling him Heavenly Father. And as we come before uh, the word today, I have three points for your consideration this morning. Three points. As we look at the text, we see that God creates, sin corrupts, but Jesus restores. God creates, sin corrupts, but Jesus restores. Here in verse, verses uh, 18 through 25, this is a continuation from chapter 1 where God creates. See, in chapter 1 of Genesis, it is an overview of the entire creation account. So it's the macro view. And in uh, chapter 1, we see that in six days, God brings form to that which was formless. And God fills the emptiness of that void. Remember Genesis 1, he says that he, be, he created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. So, so God begins to bring order out of chaos, and, and he begins to put in place his desired plan for his creation. The way that I like to, to look at it, and, and one helpful way to remember the six days of creation is that God creates three containers and he, he fills it with, on three days with, with content. So in that first container, if it was a square, he is, he, is, he is setting apart day one and he says he separates the light from the dark and he calls the day, he calls the light day and he calls the night, he calls the darkness night. He does that, sets that container. And then God takes the the waters, and he separates the waters from the waters and creates the expanse, and he creates the heavens. So now in that second, second container, you have the heavens and you have the waters. 
And then in the third container, God, he separates the earth from the seas and he brings forth the earth and, and its vegetation. And so in the third container, you have the uh, you have the water and, and, and the earth. But then in day four, he goes back. And then in that container of 90 days, he fills it with the sun and the moon and the stars. And they declare the glory of God all throughout all creation. And then in the second container, that is the, the sky and the sea, he fills it with the birds and with the fishes. And then in that third container, he fills the earth with beasts and animals and creatures. And he fills that third container with the pinnacle of creation, man, on the sixth day. God does all of that. But uniquely about the sixth day, God specifically says of man and nothing and no one else, let us create man in our image. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? We see that by God saying, let us make man in our image and likeness and let him have dominion. God is is doing his divine thing. He has his divine plan. Let us make man. He has his divine pattern in our image, and he has his divine purpose. Let him have dominion. So all that God is doing for man is about reflecting his glory and his divinity in the earth. And it says, so he created man in his own image, both male and female. So to be created in the image of God, uh, this is the imago Dei. There's no, no other creation, creature that is created in the image of God. And being created in the image of God means that the breath of the Lord, it it does more than just bring animation of life. It does more than just cause us to get up and to live, but his breath actually gives us spiritual understanding and a functional conscience. We have a piece of who God is within us. In creating us in the image of God, the Lord creates us with, a, with capacity and responsibility. We are to have dominion. And his desire is that man would rule over his creation as his viceroys, as his ambassadors, as ones with full authority. We're ruling on his behalf. That, that is, that's what it means to be created in the image of God. So, so understand this. When the Bible says, let us make man in our own image, and I've said it before, but let me remind you, your value, dignity, and worth is not based upon your ability, your accomplishment, or any of your skills. Your value, dignity, and worth is inherent to the fact that you've been created in the image of God. You don't have to believe what they may say. You, you don't have to be discouraged uh, about what they may think. But just the fact, somebody needs to hear that today. The fact that you have been created in the image of God means you're valuable, means you're worth something, means you're desirable. It means that you're, you're loved because we've been created in his image. And not only were we created in his image on the sixth day, but... At this point, all that God has created, it says that he has created everything and it was 
good. Now, this word good, we, we, we use it generically, kind of like how we use the word love. We just use it for everything. Uh, we use the word good for like something is pleasant, like, oh, that, that was good. We use it for uh, something desirable. Oh, that looks good. We use it if something is usable. Hand me that. That'd be good. Something efficient, something friendly, something kind. Like we use it in all these general ways. But particularly here in the book of Genesis, when God is talking about good, he's talking about that which is fitting. That which is appropriate. That which is able to fulfill God's plan and God's purposes. So it's not this this moral significance, although there is morality built into what God has done, but particularly that God has created in a way that whatever he has created is able to fulfill his purpose for his plan. So keep that in mind as we, as we look at chapter 2, because what chapter 2 is, if sometimes, so this may be an, an, an apologetic, a defense of the faith, because there's there may be someone who just reads Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 and like, but th- this doesn't make no sense. It's like two different creations. Well, no, it's not two different creations. Genesis chapter 1 is a complete overview of creation, but chapter 2 is a specific detailed account of day 6 and the creation of man. So as you go on to chapter 2, what we see is that everything is good, everything is good, then all of a sudden, for the first time, God says, and it was it is not good. So not that it's bad morally. Not that it's, it's, it's not pleasant or kind. But the fact that man was by himself, it was not good because man was actually created to be in community. And what God does is profound. He says it, it is not good that the man should be alone. So he's pointing to, God is pointing to the man's inability or his incompleteness to fulfill his God-giving purpose. Okay, well, if he's incomplete, what does he need? Look here in verse 18. In verse 18, he says, it is, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then what, what God does next is key because he begins to bring all of the animals around that he would name them, him having dominion and authority over the creation and naming the animals. But in doing so, Adam begins to see something. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The lions come in front. And Adam said, oh, let's call that lion. The elephants come, let's call them elephants. The crickets come, let's call them crickets. The mosquitoes come. He, he should have called them hell on earth, but he called them mosquitoes. <laughs> but but he, names every, he names everything, but in doing so, he notices that, that they, have, they have a pair. They have someone with them. They, they're not by themselves. 
and and now he begins to realize that I I'm lacking in some way. There, there's not there's no one who could help me do what God commanded me to do, and that is to be fruitful and to multiply, to have dominion, to 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 reflect His glory throughout creation. Watch this. We cannot reflect God's glory singularly. We can only reflect God's glory truly in community. So this is, this is what's incomplete about the situation. So God says, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Hear me when I say when God says I'm going to make him a helper, he's not saying I'm going to make somebody less than who can be his, stool, his stooge. I'm going to make him a sidekick. I'm going to make him uh, someone that he can boss around to do the stuff that he just don't want to do. But specifically in, in, the, in Scripture, God himself is called a helper. And the reason why God is called a helper because he's talking about one who provides what is lacking in the man, who can do what the man alone cannot do. So, and God's saying, I'm going to make him a helper fit for him. He's saying, man is by himself, incomplete, unable to do what I called him to do, because what I've called him to do requires a community to do it, and he's not in a community, so I'm going to create someone just like him to complement him in order to accomplish this, 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 this got me this week. God did not bring forth the helper to accomplish just what God wanted the man to do. God created the helper to accomplish what God wanted humanity to do. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. God has a plan that is fulfilled in community. Notice, notice when God, he says, let us make man in our image, right? He's, he makes man in his image. Then he says, so the Lord made man in his image. He created them. Male and female, he created them. Part of the Imago Dei, part of who God is, can only be reflected in male and female communities. Not singularity. So, so it's important that when God has identified male and female, we can only truly reflect his glory if both of those are coming alongside to, to show off his glory. Now, particularly, I, I, can, I can get into all the nuances, not particularly even in the covenant of marriage, but in this moment, God has created male and female to multiply and fill the earth, and woman is, is, is Adam's counterpart. In verse 21, so the Lord God causes a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that Lord, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Notice all the beasts of the field and creatures God formed out of the dust of the ground. But the helper he created out of the rib from the man. Just as God 
is in community with himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The woman would come out of man and be in community with him, unique, uniquely. So we see the man and the woman were created for a unified purpose. Just as God has been in community with himself from eternity past, we have been created for community because community is good. And it was good. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Because I'm not saying you have to be married in order for your circumstance to be good. What God is doing is, 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 is fitting for singles as well. Singles are not a second-class citizenry in the church. They, are, they have been created just like us to be in community. What God is saying, you can't do this Christian walk by yourself. My purposes and my plans, you can't do by yourself. It requires community. And what God does in, in, in chapters 1 and 2, he establishes this foundation for human flourishing, beloved. Everything that God is doing is a blueprint of, of, of a, a pathway and a process that would lead to humanity doing well. Flourishing, expanding, ruling, and reigning, reflecting his glory. God, is, God establishes sexuality. God establishes marriage. He establishes our care for creation. God establishes all of th These are principles not found in, in, in our society. These are principles found in God's word. Those are the foundations for human flourishing. So in all of that, God, he creates. But then we see quickly after God creates, we don't know how long, there's speculation. We don't know how long after this, but we see that sin corrupts. In the third chapter, this is the account of why things are what they are right now. What, if everything was so good, what happened? Well, this is what happened. Because in chapter 3, it explains to us how very good was broken. In giving and, and creating the man and the woman, God gave humanity one command. One command. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God, why did you, why did you give them, why did you give them a, a, a commandment to follow? Why did you have to do that? By giving them one command, God is establishing his authority over all creation. He establishes his authority, but then there's a requirement of obedience, a willing obedience. So apart from that command, authority and obedience cannot be established. So God gives them this one command. And but we see that as God brings forth life, temptation, sin, and Satan, he brings forth death. Look, the serpent. The serpent now was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? So who, who is this serpent? So there's, there's some uh, debate. There's some questions about what exactly is the serpent. Is it a snake? Is it a metaphor? But, 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 but what we see is this serpent 
has come, clothed in itself, disguised, because it's Satan that has come. And he takes advantage of the skill of the serpent. Where the text says, and the serpent was more crafty, another word is like shrewd. So it's not necessarily negative, because Jesus himself, when he sends the disciples out, he says what? Be, be wise as serpents. So evidently, that, uh, evidently there, there is a, an ability by the serpent to move around in a way that's really cunning, that, that's, that's really wise and smart. So Satan chose us to use the serpent and to speak through the serpent in order to speak to the woman to bring forth a temptation. And the first thing in temptation that Satan does is begin to question God's word. Did God actually say? This is the exact same temptation we, we're faced with every single day. Did God say that I couldn't? Did God say? Did he actually say? And we question God's word because we want to get around his authority. But, but we see what happens when the serpent brings this question to the woman. The woman responds in, in, in a couple different ways. There's three ways in particular I want to point out. She, she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, let me quickly point out, what the, 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 the woman's response to Satan is kind of, it's like, it's like that meh meme. You know, it's like meh, like you, we, may, we may eat of, the, of, of, of every tree. She is completely leaving out the emphasis because in chapter two, God says, you may surely eat of every tree. And him just putting surely there, uh, uh, it, it really means you can, you can have your feel. You can be, com be completely satisfied in every tree that I have given you. You don't have to. There's no restraint. There's no holding back. You can surely eat of every tree. It's yours. It belongs to you. So in her even diminishing, yeah, we may eat, she is downplaying the freedom and liberty that God has given them. But then secondly, she says, neither shall you touch it. Where God says, just you shall not eat. It's, it's as if Eve well, I mean, well, I mean, it, it works, right? We exactly what we do exactly what Eve does. We create laws unto ourselves that brings a limitation to God, and the law we create for ourselves actually limits our affections for God. <laughs> God is trying to set you free, and you binding yourself up. You like you making stuff up. Well, you know. Uh, I ain't supposed to be playing cards in church. Like, really? You know y'all ain't supposed to be dancing in church. You know you better get off the telephone when it right. No, nah, I ain't say that, but. <laughs> we create these rules unto ourselves that God did not say. And because we create these rules, we're, we're restricting freedom and the access that we have to all that God wants to give to fulfill us. 
But then thirdly, she says, lest you die. What did she forget again? God says, you shall surely die. There's no question about it. Lest you die, it's like, could be, could be not. But God says, surely. And what God is talking about here is not so much the cessation of life, the end of life, but the separation uh, from him, uh, from that spiritual unity. It is spiritual death. So you see, it, and it goes on, the, the serpent, then he comes out with a bold-faced lie. <laughs> but he says a bold-faced lie, but he actually gets God's words correct. You will not surely die. He just lies. And what, so what the serpent does, he, he lies and perverts God's word in order to raise doubt about who God is. Is your God really good? Is he really good? He said you couldn't eat. You won't die. But not only does he bring doubt about God's word, he he brings doubt about God's infinite goodness and even implying that God would hold something back from the man and woman. God knows that you, if you eat of it, you will be like him. He's holding back from it. He's not giving you what you deserve. He's not giving you uh, your destiny. He's holding back. Whenever Satan's lies come to us, they always have a portion of truth in order for to throw us off his scent. And what happens when we fall into temptation? The same way we fall into temptation, into temptation. That just came from Adam and Eve. It's the same way they fell into temptation because it says, so when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food, the lust of the eyes, and that it was a delight, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. That's 1 John 2.16. She took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. She, she looked past God's commandments by making it subjective. She said, well, the tree is for food. Practical. Then she said, and it is beautiful. Aesthetic. So, so Satan has appealed to her physically. It is good for food. It is beautiful. He's appealed to her emotionally. But then thirdly, the potential for wisdom. It, I will be like God. He, he appeals to her spiritually. Get this. A subordinate creature was able to lure God's pinnacle of creation into sin. That which was created was able to lure God's viceroys into sin, the serpent. So really, in believing Satan's lies, Eve chose that which was less than God. Every time we fall into sin, we're choosing what's less than. God is trying to give you more than, but you keep choosing less than. 
That's why, we're, that's why you can't be satisfied. That's why you always have to go back to that sin over and over again because it doesn't satisfy. It temporarily, sat, it temporarily satisfies, but it doesn't eternally satisfy. Only Jesus can do that. And we see the consequences. As soon as they, they sin, their eyes are open and they see that they were naked. And it's kind of funny because I'm thinking, like, it's only them two. Like, ain't, they ain't, like, out in public, like, everybody. It's only them two. But the shame was so thick. This goes back to 2 and 25 where it says, and the man and the woman were naked and not ashamed. The Bible wasn't just putting that to kind of, like, do, like, a hee-hee joke, like, oh, they were naked. Hee-hee. Like, no, they were completely transparent in front of one another. There was no guilt or shame in creation at any point. They were completely satisfied. They were completely uh, uh, in line with whom God wanted them to be and how they would respond to one another. But sin enters into creation, and sin enters into creation, and shame enters into creation. And they grab the fig leaves and try to sow together something to cover themselves, to cover their shame. But even those fig leaves are temporary. Not only do they cover themselves in shame, but they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord because of their guilt. They hear God coming and they run away. You know, so often... When people run away from the people of God or the place of God, it's because of guilt. And the only thing that will free them up is not the message, you get your butt back in church, but the message Jesus can forgive you of that too. Jesus can restore you. But they, they hide themselves because of their guilt. And then God calls out to the man, where are you? Not that, that, that the omniscient, omnipotent God doesn't know where they are, but he wants the man to realize what has taken place. That instead of being in complete, transparent fellowship between him and God and him and a woman, that where, where, where are you? You're hiding in a bush? I created you to be out in the open. You're hiding yourself? Where, where are you, Adam? Why would you be hiding yourself when you're supposed to be a reflection of my glory? Beloved, when we're steeped in sin and shame and guilt, how can we also be reflections of God's glory? Where are you? They're in a broken place. Because of their sin, the paradise was gained. is now paradise lost. Because of their sin, there will now be a, a perpetual struggle between good and evil. Because of their sin, judgment would come immediately. And God pronounces this oracle of judgment upon them. Beloved, understand this. As Satan was tempting him, tempting them, what did they receive? There was no divine enlightenment, was it? They, the only thing that was added to them was the knowledge of evil. The only thing that was gained was mistrust and alienation, which replaces the security and the intimacy that they had. See, Whenever I think about sin, and, and it was communicated to me, like, really? 
Like, if we really, really think about sin, it's illogical. Why would you want to, to, to trade security and intimacy for mistrust and alienation? Why would you, why, why would you make that trade? But every time we are disobedient to what God has said, that's exactly what we're doing. Sin is illogical, but yet it's so real. Ultimately, their greatest sin is not that they just ate the apple. <laughs> the apple. Their biggest sin was, was not that the, the partaking of the fruit. Their biggest sin was that they were rejecting the goodness of God. Beloved, it is our rejection of God's goodness that brings forth sin. But there's hope. There's hope. Because in verse 14 and 15, God says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So just as in Adam and Eve, sin has now come down through generations, uh, humanity has been completely affected by sin, so the serpent and every other serpent will be infected, uh, affected because of sin as a reminder of what took place in the garden. So every time you see a snake, like, you don't have to be super scared or, I mean, you don't have to run away from them. You don't have to hate snakes. But this, 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 stu this stuck out to me this week. So every time we see a snake now, it should be a reminder of, of the fall. Just like a rainbow is a reminder of God's promise to never flood the entire earth, every time we see a, a snake, it should be a reminder of how we fell into sin. And how much we need a savior. So there's there, there's this physical curse, but there's a spiritual promise because in verse 15, he says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." And then God goes on to give these oracles of judgment. Remember. These oracles of judgment, their punishment for them for what they did. Now, the effects of these, they're not curses. He only curses the serpent, but he punishes the man and the woman. And there's residual effect from their punishment that has come. So oracles of judgment come, the serpent's curse comes, but in this is why Jesus is so glorious and beautiful and fantastic because in the midst of a hopeless situation, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the hurricane, in the midst of despair, in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the shadow, in the midst of the darkness, God says, but I still have a love for you that I want to give you hope. And he says, Satan, there's going to be a struggle between the seed of the woman, humanity, and we see the seed of the, this is just a cheat, in, in chapter 4, what do we see? We see the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent in Cain and Abel. 
And Cain rises up against Abel and, and kills him. But later on, there is Seth. And the Bible says, and, and when Seth came, then the people began to call out and praise to God. So he's saying, from the woman, there will be the struggle against good and evil. But there will be a day when, when, when the, the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. And will be victorious. This is a promise of grace. That in spite of all of your brokenness, in spite of all of your wickedness, God has made a way. This is his promise. But not only is this a promise, this is his provision of grace. We see in the book of Titus, it says, and grace has appeared in the person and the work of Jesus the Christ. Jesus doesn't just, Jesus doesn't bestow grace. He is the manifestation of our grace. So our reflection of God's goodness brings consequences that only Jesus can cure. And beloved, how does Jesus cure our consequences? We have been alienated. We have been separated. We're full of guilt. We're full of shame. And he says to the woman, now you will experience pain in childbirth. And there, and there will be a struggle for authority and dominion between you and the man. And, and, and for the man, uh, where uh, all of your work is going to be hard now. The, the earth is not going to give uh, what it was before. And you will be cast out of the garden for your own good. How does Jesus restore the, those consequences? Beloved, I'm so glad. That on a hill long ago, the person of Jesus Christ, he, he has entered into humanity. He, had, he has lived a sinless and perfect life. But the Bible tells us that though Jesus was innocent, blameless, the authorities, they, they arrest Jesus and they they beat him and they mock him and they spit upon him. And they put an old rugged cross on his back and they march him up to a hill called Golgotha. A hill called Calvary. How does Jesus remove these consequences? What Jesus does, when they hung him high and they stretched him wide, just as you were alienated, Jesus now becomes alienated. Just as you've been separated, Jesus becomes separated. Oh, just as you were filled with guilt and shame, the, the guilt and shame of all humanity is placed on Jesus' back. And just as the man would experience the curse of the ground, the sweat and the thorns, Jesus experiences the curse of being put on a tree. 
And Jesus experiences the sweat of blood dropping down his face. And Jesus experiences the thorn of crowns on his head. And Jesus experiences being hung on a tree. And Jesus experiences the death. And Jesus is placed in the dust of the earth in a borrowed man's tomb. Jesus removes the consequence for our sin by becoming a curse for us. In the Calvary, he bore all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of our shame. But instead of being cast out of the garden, through the blood of Jesus, we have access to the garden now. Because when he got up early one Sunday morning, he got up validated that all of the sin and shame and guilt that that my beloved was bearing, I have took to the grave and cast off as far as the east is from the west. And because I have removed their sin debt, they now have access back into the Eden of, 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 of God, his, his bosom. And no longer do we have to experience alienation or separation because he, all those who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus will have the Holy Spirit abiding in them. You are never alone. You are never alienated. You are never separated. Beloved, have you found temptation coming in your life? In, in, in what form do you find temptation coming to your life the most? Do you think you could ever avoid that in your own strength? The only way to fight temptation It's for a life to be hidden in Christ Jesus. The only way you can really be prepared is to be so fixated upon how good Jesus is that you would never settle for less than ever redeemed. Beloved, the only way to reverse the curse of creation is to place your faith and trust in the one who became a curse for you. His name is Jesus. Father, thank you for your word, your promises, the beauty and the glory of what you have accomplished for us. Thank you, kind Father, for so great a salvation. We do love you. We thank you. These things we ask. In the precious, matchless, and mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. <laughs> Beloved, there may never have been a time in your life where you've seen your sin for what it was. Something harmful and wicked that separates you from the goodness of God. There may have never been a time where you've seen Jesus for who he is and you repented of your sin and trusted in him for salvation alone. That day can be today. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Or maybe you're here today and you need prayer.
temptation has just been getting victory in your life over and over and over again. You need the saints to pray for you to help you look to Jesus. You can come for prayer or maybe there's a situation, circumstance in your life you need prayer for. You can come. Or maybe the Lord is calling you to be a part of this covenant fellowship and become a member of Forest Baptist Church. So whether your need is salvation, prayer, or membership, you can come as we all stand and sing our closing song. Let us sing.